if you're from a technical background, you tend to think of multi-cloud as a problem for the IT organization. Like, how do we solve this? How do we save money? But actually, it's a business problem now, too, because every single one of these companies that have multiple clouds, they want to integrate their data, their products across these, and it's inhibiting their innovation. Welcome to the CIO Exchange podcast, where we talk about what's working, what's not, and what's next. I'm Eden Porter de Leon. What are the new or the future industry problems that the SuperCloud should solve? In this episode, originally recorded during the August 2022 SuperCloud event, the Cube hosts Dave Valente and John Furrier sit down with Will LaForest, field CTO of Confluent, David McJanet, CEO of HashiCorp, and Vittorio Varengo, VP cross-cloud services at VMware. During the panel conversation, they debate whether or not SuperCloud is just another name for multi-cloud or for SaaS, or is SuperCloud truly a new category and architecture that creates value for organizations and accelerates innovation? Welcome back everyone to SuperCloud 22 here in our live studio performance here on stage in Palo Alto. I'm John Furrier, your host with theCUBE with Dave Vellante, my co-host. Got a great industry ecosystem panel to discuss whether it's real or hype. David McJanet, CEO of HashiCorp, hugely successful company, as Will LaForest, field CTO at Confluent, and Victoria Vierengo from VMware. Guys, thanks for coming on theCUBE, appreciate it. So, real or hype, SuperCloud, David? It depends on the definition. <laughs> okay, how do you define SuperCloud? Start there. Uh, so I think we have a, I think we have a, like an inherently pragmatic view of SuperCloud, of the idea of SuperCloud as you talk about it, which is, you know, for those of us that have been in the infrastructure world for a long time, we know there are really only six or seven categories of infrastructure. There's sort of the infrastructure, security, networking, databases, middleware, and really the message queuing aspects. And I think our view is that if the steady state of the world is multi-cloud, what you've seen is sort of some modicum of standardization across those different elements. Take Confluent. You know, I worked in the middleware world years ago, MQ series and typical multicast was how you did message queuing. Well, you don't do that anymore. All the different cloud providers have their own message queuing tech, Google PubSub and the equivalents across the different clouds. Kafka has provided a consistent way to do that. And they're not trying to project that you can run everything connected. They're saying, hey, you should standardize on Kafka for message queuing because that way you can have operational consistency. So I think to me, that's more how we think about it is sort of there is sort of layer by layer uh, sort of de facto standardization for the lingua franca. So a streaming super cloud is how you would think of it? Or, no, I, I just, <laughs> or a component of That could be a super cloud. I just think that there are, like, if I'm going to build an application, message queuing is going to be a necessary element of it, I'm going to use Kafka, not a native sub-engine on one of the clouds, because operationally, that's just the only way I can do it. So I think that's more our view. It's much more pragmatic rather than trying to create like a single platform that you can run everywhere and deal with the, the networking realities yeah. of like network hops missing across those different worlds and have that be our responsibility. It's much more around, hey, let's standardize at each layer operationally. Standardized layer that you can use to build a super cloud if that's in your, your intent. And it reminds me of the web services days, you kind of do the throwback there. I mean, we're kind of living the next gen of web services, the dream of that next level, because DevOps, DevSecOps now has gone mainstream. That's the big challenge we're hearing. Devs are doing great, but the ops teams and security, they got to go faster. This seems to be a core, I won't say blocker, but more of a drag to the innovation. I'll just get off, I'll hand it off to, to you guys, but I think the idea that like, if I'm going to have an app that's running on Amazon that needs to connect to a database that's running on, on the private data center, that's essentially the SOA notion writ large <laughs> that we're all trying to solve 20 years ago. But it's much more complicated because you're brokering different identity models, different networking models, it's just much more complex. So that's where the ops bit is the constraint. For me to build that app's not that complicated. For the ops person to let it see traffic is another thing altogether. I think that's the break point for so much of what looks easy to a developer is the operational reality of how you do that. And the good news is those are actually really well-solved problems. They're just not broadly understood. 
Will, what's your take? You talk to customers all the time, field CTO, Confluent, really doing yeah. well, streaming data. I mean, everyone's doing it now, they have to. These are new things that pop up that need solutions. You guys step up and doing more. What's your take on SuperCloud? Well, the way we address it, honestly, is we don't think about SuperCloud, much less is the fact that SaaS is really being pushed down. Like if we rewound seven years ago and you took a look at SaaS, like it was obvious if you were going to build a product for an end consumer or business user, you'd do SaaS. You'd be crazy not to, right? But seven years ago, if you look at your average software company producing something for a developer, the people building those apps, chances are you had an open source model or self-managed. I think with the success of a lot of the companies that are here today, Snowflake, Databricks, Confluent, it's obvious that SaaS is the way to deliver software to the developers as well. And as such, because our product is provided that way to the developers across the clouds, that's, that's how they have a unifying data layer. Developers, like many people, don't necessarily want to deal with the infrastructure. They just want to consume cloud-native services. So that's how we help our customers span cloud. So we Traditionally, had a... that SaaS was going to be either built on a single cloud or in the case of ServiceNow, they built their own cloud. So increasingly, we're seeing Salesforce. opportunities to build a Salesforce as well. Across clouds, tap different services. So how does that evolve? Some clouds have better capabilities than other clouds. So how does that all get sort of adjudicated? Do you, do you devolve to the lowest common denominator or can well, you take the best of all of each? The whole point of that, I think, is that when you move from the business user and the personal consumer to the developer, you can no longer be on a cloud, right? There has to be locality to where applications are being developed. So we can't just deploy on a single cloud and have people send their data to that cloud. We have to be where the developer is. And our job is to make yeah. the most of each and individual cloud to provide the same experience to them, right? So yes, we're using the capabilities of each cloud, but we're hiding that to the developer. They don't, shouldn't need to know or care. Okay, and you're hiding that with this abstraction layer. We talked about this before, Vittorio. And that layer has, what, some intelligence that has metadata knowledge that can adjudicate where the best service is or a function of latency or data sovereignty. How do you see that? Well, I think the, you need to instrument these applications so that you can get that data and then make the intelligent decision of where, where the deployed application. I think what Dave said is, the level of super cloud that they're talking about is the standardization across messaging and, and are you, what's happening within the application, right? So you, don't, you are not too dependent on the underlying. But then the application, say, they takes a, the form of a microservice and you deploy. There has to be a way for operators to say, okay, I, I see all these microservices running across clouds and I can factor out how they're performing, how I life, life cycle manage and all that. And so I think to me, there's the next level of the super cloud is how you factor this out so an operator can actually keep up with the developers and make sense of all that and manage it. <laughs> That's what Datadog does. So Datadog basically allows you to instrument all those services, on-prem, private data center, all the different clouds to have a consistent view. I think that's another good example of a vendor that's created a, a sort of a level of standardization across a layer. And I think that's, that's more how we think about it. I think the notion of like a developer building an application they can deploy and not have to worry where it exists yeah. is more of a PaaS kind of construct. You know, things like Cloud Foundry have done a great job of, of doing that. But underneath that, there's still infrastructure, there's still security, there's still networking underneath it. And I think that's where things like Confluent and you know, yeah. perhaps at the infrastructure layer have standardized. But you have an off-the-shelf PaaS, if I can call it that, yep. kind of plain enough. And, th and then you have PaaS, and I think about, you mentioned Snowflake. Snowflake is, with Snowpark seems to be developing a PaaS layer that's purpose-built for their specific purpose of sharing data and governing data across multiple clouds, we call it super PaaS. Is that a prerequisite of a, a super cloud? You, you're building blocks, I'm hearing, 
yeah. for SuperCloud. Is that a prerequisite for SuperCloud that's different than you know, it has of 10 years ago? No, but I, but I think this, this is, they're just different layers. So it's like, I, I don't know how the Snowflake offering is built, but I would guess it's probably built on Terraform and Vault and Console underneath it, because those are the ingredients with respect to how you would build a composite application that runs across multiple clouds. And that's, how that's, Oracle, just, that's, how. that's how Oracle, with the Microsoft announcement they just made, if you saw that, that was built on Terraform. But they would claim that they did some special things within their past that were purpose-built for low latency, for example. For They're sure. not going to build that on you know, OpenShift as an, as an example. So I think what you're pointing at and what Vittorio was talking about is, hey, can a vendor provide a consistent experience across the application layer across these multiple clouds? And I would say, sure. Just like you might build a mobile banking application that has a front end on Amazon and the back end running on vSphere on your private data center, sure. But the ingredients you use to do that they can't be the cloud native aspects for how you do that. How do you think about you know, the connectivity of, of like networking between that thing to this thing? Is it different on Amazon? Is it different on Azure? Is it different on Google? And so the, the companies that we all serve, that's what they're building. They're building composite applications. Mm -hmm. Snowflake is just an example of a company that we serve that's building and, composite. And, but don't you have to hide the complexity of those cloud native primitives? That's your job, right? Is to actually create simplicity across clouds, is it not? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that in fact is what we're doing for developers that need to do event streaming, that need to process this data in real time. Now, we're doing the sort of things that Vittorio was just talking about, like underneath the covers, of course, we're using Kubernetes and we're managing the, the differences between the clouds, but we're hiding the, that and we've become sort of a de facto standard across the cloud. I think we all know, and you were mentioning earlier, every significant company is multi-cloud now, all the large enterprises. I just got back from Brazil and like every single one of them have multiple clouds and on-prem. So they need something that can span those. What's the challenge there? If you talk to those customers, because we're seeing the same thing. They have multiple clouds, but it was kind of by default or they had some use case, either .NET developers there with Azure, they'll do whatever cloud. And it's kind of seems specialty relative to the cloud native that they're on. What problems do they have? Because the complexity to run infrastructure as code across clouds is hard. So the trade up between native cloud and have better integration to complexity of multiple clouds seems to be a topic around super cloud. What are you seeing for issues that they might have or concerns? Honestly, it is hard. So here's the thing that I think is kind of interesting though, by the way, is that if you're from a technical background, you tend to think of multi-cloud as a problem for the IT organization. Like, how do we solve this? How do we save money? But actually it's a business problem now too, because every single one of these companies that have multiple clouds, they want to integrate their data, their products across these, and it, it's inhibiting their innovation. It's hard to do, but that's where something like HashiCorp comes in, is to help solve that so you can instrument it. It has to happen at each of these layers, and I suppose if it does happen at every single layer, then voila, we organically have something that amounts to super cloud. I love how you guys are representing each other's firms, but they also, correct me if I'm wrong, your customers want to, it is very similar, but your customers want to monetize Right? They want to bring their tools, their software, their particular IP and their data. Recent says every company is becoming a cloud company to monetize in the future. Is that a reasonable premise of super cloud? Everyone's trying to build composite applications to generate revenue. Like that's why they're building applications. So yeah, 100%. I was just going to make a point because we see it as well. Like it's actually quite different by geography, weirdly. So if you go to different geographies, you see actually different cloud providers more represented than others. So like in North America, Amazon's pretty dominant. Japan, Amazon's pretty dominant. You go to Southeast Asia, actually it's not necessarily that way. Like it might be Google for whatever reason, more Alibaba. So this notion of multi is just the reality everyone's de everybody's dealing with. But yeah, I think everyone goes through the same process, what we've observed, they kind of go, there's like this cloud V1 and there's cloud V2. Yeah. Cloud V1 is sort of the very tactical, let's go build something on cloud. 
Cloud Vitu is like, whoa, 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 whoa. And I have some stuff on Amazon, stuff, some stuff on Azure, some stuff on, on vSphere, and I need some operational consistency. How do I think about zero trust across that yeah. way in a consistent way? And that's where this conversation comes into being. It's not like the first version of Cloud. It's actually when people step back and say, hey, I want to build composite applications to monetize. How am I going to do that in an industrialized way? And that's the problem that you were it's not, it's not as It's not a no-brainer like it was with Cloud. Go to the Cloud, write an app, you're good. Here it's architectural systems thinking. You yeah. got to think about regions. What's the latency? It's the you step know? back and go like, how are we going to do this, this exactly? Like it's fine to do one app, but how do we do this at scale? Zero Trust is a great example. Amazon was forced to get into the zero trust discussion. That that wasn't you know even a term that they used, and now sort of they're starting to talk about it, but within their domain. And so, how do you do zero trust across clouds? To your point, I wonder if we're limiting our conversation too much to the very technical set of developers. Because I'm thinking back at my example of C++ libraries, C++ libraries that makes it easier, and then Visual Basic. And right now, we don't have enough developers to build the software that we want to build. And so I want, and we are like now debating, oh, do we hide that AI API from Google versus that SQL Server API from Microsoft? I wonder at some point, who cares? I think if we want to get really economy of scale, we need to get to a level of abstraction for developers most of the procedural application that I need to build as a developer, as a procedural developer, I don't care about this stuff. Some propeller head has done that for me. I just like plug it in my idea and I use it. I don't know how far we are from that, but if we don't get to that level, it feels to me that we're never going to get really the economy or the cost of building application to that level. I was then. going to ask you in the previous segment about low code, you know, no code, expanding the number of developers out there. And you talk about propeller heads. That's you guys all do. Yeah. I mean, you're the technical geniuses, right, <laughs> to solve propeller. that problem. So you can have low code development. Is yeah. that? I don't think we have the right people here because I, we, we're still you know, <laughs> trying to solve that problem at that level. But, but that problem has to be solved first, right, before we can address what you're talking about. Yeah, I, I worked uh, very closely with that one of my biggest mentors was Adam Bosworth, that all the APIs for Visual Basics and the SQL API to Visual Basic and all that stuff. And he always was on that front. In fact, his last job was at AWS, building that no-code environment. So I'm a little detached from that. It just hit me as we were discussing this. I would argue that you kind of got to separate the two layers. So yep. you think about the application platform layer that a developer interfaces to. Victoria and I worked together years ago, and one of the products we created was Cloud Foundry. So this is the idea of CF push, just push this app artifact, and I don't care. That's how you get the developer community writ large to adopt something complicated by hiding all the complexity. That is one model. Turns out Kubernetes has actually become a peer to that and actually perhaps become more popular, and that's what you know, folks like Tanzu are trying to do. But there's another layer underneath that, which is the infrastructure that supports it, right? Because yeah. that still needs to run on something, and I think that's the separation we have to do. Yes, we're talking a little bit about the plumbing, but we just easily be talking about the app layer. You need both of them. Our point of view is you need to standardize at this layer, just like you need to standardize at this layer. Well, this is, this is infrastructure, this is DevOps. V2. Dev, ops. Yeah, and this is where I think the ops piece with open source, I would argue that open source is booming more than ever, so I think there's plenty of developers coming. The automation question becomes interesting because I think what we're seeing is shift left is proving that there's app developers out there that want to stay in their pipelining. They don't want to get in the, under the hood. They just want infrastructure as code. But then you got supply chain software issues there. Talked about the DockerCon yep. big time. So developers at the top, I think, are going to be fine. The question is, what's the blocker? What's holding them back? And I don't see the devs piece, Vittorio, as much. What do you guys think? Is the blocker ops or is it the developer experience that's the blocker? It's both. There's aren't enough people, truthfully. <laughs> I sort of view the developer as sort of the engine of the digital innovation. So you know, if you talk about creative destruction, that was the economic equivalent of software is eating the world. 
The developers are the ones that are doing the innovation. It's absolutely essential that you make it super easy for them to consume. So I think they're nerds. They want to deal with infrastructure to some degree, but I think they understand the value of getting a bag of Legos that they can construct something new around. And I think that's the key because honestly, I mean, no code may help for some things. Maybe I'm just old school, but I went through this before with like Delphi and there were some other ones and, and I hated it. Like I just wanted to code. So I think making them more efficient is absolutely key. Uh, as, but I think what, where you're going with that question is that the developers, they tend to stay ahead. They're just wired that way, right? So I think right now, while there is a big bottleneck in developers, I think the operation team needs to catch up because I talk to these people, like our customers all the time, and I see them still stuck in the old world. Right? Give me a bunch of VMs and I'll, I know how to manage. Well, that world has lags, it's gonna be there forever. The only world is all about microservices and containers, and if the operation team doesn't get on top of it and the security team, they're, they're gonna be a bottleneck. Okay, I wanna ask you guys, if the companies can get through that knothole of having their ops teams and the dev teams work well together, what's the benefits of a super cloud? How do you see the outcome? If you kind of architect it right, you think the big picture, you zoom out saying, what's the end game look like for super cloud? Is well, that, what I would say- or What's the nirvana? <laughs> I, to me, nirvana is that you don't care. You just don't, don't care. When you're running, building application, let's go back to the on-prem days, you don't care if it runs on HP or Dell or I'm gonna make some uh, enemies here with my <laughs> old, old family, but you don't really care, right? What you want is the application is up and running and people can use it. And so I think that Nirvana is that there is some computing power out there, some pass layer that allows me to deploy and build application. And I just like build code and I deploy it and I get value at a reasonable cost. I think one of the things that the super cloud, as far as we're concerned, is cost. How do you monitor the cost across all this cloud? Make sure that you don't the economics don't get out of whack, right? How many companies we, we know that have gone to the cloud only to realize, holy crap! Now I got the bill, and you know, I, as a vendor, when I was in my previous company. We had a whole team figuring out how to lower our cost on the one hyperscaler that we were using. Once you have in the super cloud, you don't care. You go with the path of the best economics is. So what about the open versus closed debate? Will, you were mentioning that we had Snowflake here and Databricks is both ends of the spectrum. Yeah. You guys are building open standards across clouds. Clearly, even gardens are using open standards. But historically, de facto standards have emerged and solved these problems. So the super cloud as a de facto standard versus what Databricks is trying to do is super cloud as an open platform. What are your thoughts on that? Can you actually have an open set of standards that can be a super cloud for a specific purpose? Or will it just be built on open source technology? I think open source continues to be an important part of innovation. No but question. I will say from a business model perspective, like the days, when we started off, we were an open source company. I think that's really done, in my opinion. Because if you want to be successful nowadays, you need to provide a cloud-native, SaaS-oriented product. It doesn't matter what's running underneath the covers. It could be commercial, closed source, open source. They just want a service and they want to use it, quite frankly. Now, it's nice to have open source because developers can download it and run it on their laptop. But I can imagine in 10 years time, actually, and you see most companies that are in the cloud providing SaaS free $500 credit, they may not even be doing that. They'll just go whatever cloud provider that their company is telling them to use. They'll spin up their SaaS product. They'll start playing with it. And that's how adoption will grow. I mean, my personal view is that it's infrastructure is pervasive enough. It exists at the bottom of everything that the standards emerge out of open source. And you think about how something like Terraform is built, just pick one of the layers. There's Terraform core, and then there's a plugin for everything you integrate with. All of those are open source. There are over 2,000 of these. We don't build them. And it's the same way that drove Linux standardization yeah. years ago. Someone had to build the drivers for every piece yeah. of hardware in the world. The market does not do that twice. The market does that once. And so I'm deeply convicted that 
Open source is the only way that this works at the infrastructure layer because everybody relies on it. At the application layer, you may have different kinds of databases. You may have different kinds of runtime environments, and that's just the nature of it. You can't have two different ways of doing that. Because the stakes are so high. The surface area is just so large. So I actually worked in product development years ago for middleware, and the biggest challenge was how do you keep the adapter ecosystem up to date to integrate with everything in the world? And the only way to do it, in our view, is through open source. And I think that's a fundamental philosophical view that it, we're just grounded in. I think when people are making infrastructure decisions that span 20 years at the customer base, this is what they think about. They go, which standard will emerge based on the model of the vendor? And I don't think, my personal view is it's not possible to do in a in Do you think that's way. a de facto standard kind of psychological perspective or is there actual material work being done or both in there? It's a network effect thing. Before Google releases a service on Google Cloud, as part of the release checklist is, does it support Terraform? They do that work, not us. Why? Because every one of their customers uses yep. Terraform to interface with them. And that's how it works. So the philosophical view of the customer is, okay, what am I going to standardize on for this layer for the next 30 years? It's kind of a no-brainer philosophically. I think the standards are organically created based yeah. upon adoption. For instance, Terraform. We have a provider, we're, again, we're at the data layer, that we created for you. So like, I don't think there's a board out there, I mean, there are, that are creating standards. I think those days are kind of done, to be the, honest. The, the Terraform provider for vSphere has been downloaded five and a half million times this yeah. year. These it's are unifying people. moments. These are like, the de facto standards are really important process in these structural changes. I think that's something that we're looking at here with SuperCloud is what's next? What has to unify? Look what Kubernetes has done. I mean, that's essentially the easy thing to orchestrate, but people get behind it. So I see this as a big part of this next V2. Totally. What yeah. do you guys see that's needed? What's the rallying unification point? Is it the pass layer? Is it more infrastructure? I guess that's the question. I think every layer will need that open source or a major attraction from one of the proprietary vendor. But I agree with David, it's going to be open source for the most part. Going back to the original question of the whole panel, if this is reality of hype, look at the roster of companies that are presenting or participating today. These are all companies that have some sort of multi-cloud, cross-cloud, super-cloud play. They're either public, have real revenue, are about to go public. So the answer to the question, yeah, it's real. And there's more too, we couldn't fit them in, but. We chose SuperCloud on purpose because it was kind of fun, John and I kind of came up with it. Do you think it hurts the industry to have this, try to put forth this new term, or is it helpful to actually try to push the industry to define this new term? Or should it just be multi-cloud 2.0? I mean, conceptually, it's different than multi-cloud, in my opinion. In that respect, it has value because it's talking about something greater than just multi-cloud. Everyone's got multi-cloud. To me, multi-cloud is, the, the problem, I should say, the opportunity yeah. in super cloud, or we call it cross cloud, is the solution to that challenge. And then we're debating that in our Clouderati panel where we're talking about, is multi-cloud a problem yet that needs to get solved? Or is it not yet ready for a market, to your point? Is it, are we in the front end of coming into the true I, problem set? I can set give you a definite answer to that. Yeah, the answer is yes. Yeah. Yeah. If you look yes. at the customers that yeah. are there, they want that have gone yeah. through the euphoria phase, they're all like, holy, something, what are we going to do about this, right? And then, <laughs> but they don't know what to do. <laughs> yeah, and the, and the more advanced ones, as the vendor, look, at the end of the day, markets are created by vendors that build software that customers want to buy yeah. but, but because it, they get value. And it's nuanced, David, we were sort of talking about before, but Goldman Sachs, they're now a software vendor. Capital One is a software vendor. I'd be really interested Liberty to see what Google. Cerner does, what Oracle does with Cerner in, in terms of them becoming super cloud vendors and monetizing. That is their digital transformation. Do you guys see that in the customer base? Am I way too far up my skis there? I think it's two different things. I think, I think basically it's the idea of building applications that they monetize. Yeah, and Cerner's gonna build those. And I think about IoT companies, that people that sell like thermostats, 
they sell an application that monetizes those services. Mm -hmm. That's some of that runs on Amazon, some of it runs on a private data center. So they're basically in composite applications and monetizing them for the particular vertical. I think that's what we see never did. Yeah. You can argue that's not anything new, but what's new is they're doing that on the cloud and taking across multiple of, clouds. Multiple, multiple clouds. exactly. And yeah. I think what yeah. we all participate in is, hey, in order to do that, you need to drive standardization of how you do provisioning, how you do networking, how you do security to underpin those applications. I think that's what we're all we're talking about. Guys, this is great yeah. stuff, and I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to Thank help you. us continue the conversation. Put out in the open. We want to keep it out in the open. So in the last minute we have left, let's go down the line from a HashiCorp perspective, Confluent and VMware. What's your position on SuperCloud? What's the outcome that you would like to see from your standpoint going out five years? What's it look like? Understanding that there is a layer by layer view of how to interact across clouds to provide operational consistency and decomposing it that way, thinking about it that way is the best way to enable people to build and run apps. We want to help our customers work with their data in real time, regardless of where they are on-prem or in the cloud, and SuperCloud can enable them to build applications that do that more effectively. That's great for us. Vittorio? My nirvana for us is customers don't care. It's just there's computing out there, and it's a tool that allows me to grow my business, and we make all the differences and all the challenges disappear. Dial-up compute, utility. Infrastructure as yeah. code. I open up the thoughts that there's this water coming out. Yeah, I don't care how it got, I, how it got here. I don't want to care. Well, congratulations on all your success in the marketplace, both you guys and VMware and your new journey. And it's going to be great to watch. Thanks for participating. Really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this latest episode. Please consider subscribing to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And for more insights from technology leaders, as well as global research on key topics, visit vmware.com slash CIO.